40 minutes past 8 Central African time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very warm welcome to tonight's edition of Under the Radar. It's great to be in your company until 10 p.m. this evening. We kick it off this evening with uh, Brother Ismail Vadi's political pointers for 2023. He has uh, penned a number of very interesting projections or ideas or spaces to look out for uh, as uh, the new year dawns uh, up to 15 points he's uh, mentioned in uh, uh, a detailed brief and we try to focus on some of them this evening uh, to be able to project uh, what lays ahead uh, to the best of uh, our humanly ability and also how to respond to these developments and understand these developments Brother Ismail Vadi, veteran political uh, member of the political scene community activist as well as author joins us on the line this evening brother ismail assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh all right we've just uh, lost him there in a bit uh, hopefully that line uh, will be able to be restored uh, but just to give you uh, an idea of the kind of points that he had raised uh, or, or the broad pointed that Dr. Ismail Vadi had said these are the areas to look out for, uh, these are the areas that need development, these are the problem areas to look out for in 2023. Uh, he's given uh, obviously the ANC leadership something to look at, uh, the cabinet uh, reshuffle, probably something coming on, uh, the state of state-owned entities, uh, policy changes, policy statements, uh, the lead-up to election 2024, and much more. He's back with us on the line. Brother Ismail, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? I'm very well. And Ismail, for making the time. Always good to speak to you. And uh, inshallah, for the next few minutes, uh, running through some of the key ideas that you've put through here. And uh, obviously for the community, uh, what uh, the relevance of these should be, how should we uh, be able to respond, participate, make a positive difference uh, where applicable to uh, the, the points that you raised. Obviously, the, we enter into uh, this time period, 2023, on the back of the ANC uh, conference. And if we look at the previous ANC conference, you know, everybody emerged from there. Uh, kind of, although they, 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 you know, certain camps won certain positions, everybody felt like there was not a decisive outcome. Uh, this particular ANC conference, despite the political woes just days before that of the president, there seems to be uh, a much more clear-cut uh, you, you know, uh, victory or clear-cut uh, uh, outcome to this particular uh, conference. The question is, does uh, this uh, clear-cut victory, clear margins of victory of the ANC conference lead to any clear-cut and decisive outcomes for the ANC or for the country? I think the situation remains unclear uh, even at this moment. Um, the ANC just celebrated its uh, its anniversary today. So normally, it delivers the president delivers what is called the January 8th statement. Some broad brushstrokes were presented about what would be the key policy sort of direction for the ANC. Uh, but things remain unclear, and the main reason for that is that the ANC conference that took place uh, at the end of last month uh, has brought in, you know, Sivan Ramaphosa as the president with a much more stronger majority 
uh, in the National Executive Committee. But it remains to be seen how he will use that power and authority both within the party and within government to accelerate the process of change, to fix up what has been broken in our country, to get on with service delivery on the ground. I, I don't think people are interested in the internal political battles within the ANC. Uh, it's like a broken record. So people are not excited by that. People want to see you know, decisive action by gov- government. They want to see firm policy directives. They want to see crime being brought under control. They want to see municipalities starting to function on the ground. There are so many municipalities, there's no water, there's no electricity. Potholes are not being repaired. It's almost as if the, the local government level is starting to collapse completely. And that's what, that's what the immediate concerns of people. Uh, electricity, the, the, the load sharing, it's having a massive knock-on effect on the economy. Uh, businesses every day are faced with, whether it's two hours or four hours, or sometimes even longer of low shutting. It disrupts local business, it disrupts the economy, um, and it's not stimulating economic growth. So people are concerned about these things. I don't think they are generally interested in the political dynamics within the ANC. And it doesn't matter to them who's in the NEC or who's out of the NEC. Which uh, obviously begs then the, the question of decisiveness, and uh, you know I don't want to get caught into uh, political an- uh, analysis on one, or just one point of one party or one personality, but uh, you know it, it ties into uh, policy changes within the party, policy changes at government level, a cabinet uh, reshuffle, uh, and the, the argument that has been presented by many a, many a, a person before that you know the president didn't have room to maneuver before uh, because of uh, you know the constrained nature of uh, leadership within his party uh, now he might have uh, broader scope to to, to act uh, uh, you know can we expect in any way should we hold our breath for the president to break the cycle of what many south africans see as indecisiveness I don't think that there were any dramatic changes to, to policy in the, the last ANC conference. If you remember, the, co- the conference started almost an entire day late. Uh, the commissions, from the, by, by all accounts and even by their own admission of ANC spokesperson uh, to the media, good number of delegates were not participating in the commissions. Uh, the turnout, I think, had tended to be much lower than, than is normally the case at these various in the breakaway groups, etc. So I don't think we can expect much in the way of significant policy changes. What is needed now is for the president to almost, you know, you know, uh, grab the bull by the horns, uh, fire his incompetent ministers, bring in new talents, bring in some new dynamism in government, and get on with the work of running this country. Restoring law or law and order, sense that this government is in charge. Today we almost feel as if there isn't a government in charge. Uh, just now, I mean, we've got the allegations that has been made by the CEO of ESCOM, Andre Reiter, that he may, he may have been poisoned. An attempt was made on his life. If you look at the Sunday Times headline today, the vice chancellor at the University of Forte, because he's fighting corruption, his, his security uh, detail gets killed in a hail of bullets outside the vice chancellor's house. 
people are just saying, I mean, is there a government? Is there some authority in charge? Or are the criminals and the, cor- the, cor- the corrupt elements taking over this country? That's the, the, the kind of questions that I think people are confronting me with when you meet them at, uh, at social you know, activities or social meetings or gatherings. Is there a government in charge? Where's the minister of police? Nothing. You don't hear a thing about it. So I think it's those kinds of things that people are concerned about. So we are past, I, I think we are past the stage of talking. We are past the stage of pronouncements. We are past the stage of, of you know, making promises and, and, and bland commitments. People want to see action. And that's the biggest challenge for President Ramaphosa over the next, uh, I would say, three months. If he can't crack the whip on his own cabinet ministers, on the premiers, on the various MECs, well, then talk is cheap. Uh, how, though, is he going to, you know, uh, e- even take the first step towards making what so many people uh, are demanding rightfully that he does with the cloud uh, that he's just fought off politically, uh, you know, through the ANC voting, uh, you know, to... to Quash further uh, further investigations into uh, you know his his own scandal, which he hasn't really uh, offered satisfactory answers to the public for. Isn't it then just a matter of time before, uh, whether internally or externally, that derails any uh, chance of uh, the, the decisiveness that we require? For now, he is the president of this country. He is the president of the ANC. He must get on with the job. For as long as he's holding these two critical positions in our country, the president must lead from the front. And that's what people are asking for. That's what the private sector, that's what labor, that's what ordinary civil society organizations are asking for. It's not, I mean, when we say the president, it's not him as an individual. It's the party he leads, it's the government he leads. People want to see action on the ground. They want to feel the change. They want to feel the impact of a government that is functioning. We're almost getting a sense that uh, we're on autopilot, actually. <laughs> you know, take, let me give you from, from the transport sector because I understand that better now. There's Prasa. The railway system has, for all intents and purposes, collapsed in this country. Rail tracks are stolen. The communication network, uh, networks are broken down. Stations, railway stations have been physically vandalized. There's nothing left but a shell. What is the Minister of Transport doing? He's now the General Secretary of the ANC. So we can say, as I said, it doesn't matter what pronouncements are made. People want to see a train running in the morning. It must run on time so that they can go to work and come back home. That's what people are interested in. Uh, to to look at the area of uh, state-owned entities, you spoke of uh, the shenanigans at ESCOM, uh, the, 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 the actual risks of working uh, at state-owned en- entities, uh, and, you know, if one takes the narrative that certain individuals were trying to, uh, uh, you know, s- strike down uh, corrupt, uh, corrupt activity and then the threats that they face, the uh, sending out of the army to certain uh, powers, 
power stations, uh, etc. Again, uh, if one looks deeper at uh, some of the circumstances of these stories, I mean, there is the suggestion here that uh, the, the, the the president had to make a, make a compromise for the, uh, the 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 CEO of ESCOM to you know to to, to leave that particular position uh, for for him to uh, maintain electoral prospects. If uh, again, if, if that that is a credible report, that is a, a credible theory. Uh, again, does that inspire confidence? And with the new leadership, uh, with uh, the, the 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 challenges that they face and the unresolved crises uh, is is there any way in your projections for 2023 that this can be resolved it is a very sad day for South Africa it is unacceptable that a minister that is in charge of one portfolio attacks an official that works under a minister of another portfolio it's just unacceptable I've been an MEC Whatever my views might be, might have been in those days around health or education, is not com- is not acceptable for me as the M- as the former embassy for transport to attack a fellow cabinet minister or his officials in the line of duty. It's not acceptable conduct. But the president keeps quiet about it. That's that's the problem that we're facing. Well, by the first of April. Uh, Andre Idaveta will, will in all likelihood leave. Um, the CFO is likely to leave. The chief uh, operations officer is likely to leave, leave because of the retirement and the terms of contracts are coming to an end. Who would want to take the job? There are three vital positions in ESCOM for the future of this country. At the rate that things are going, who would want to take that job? Even if somebody is paid triple the salary, I don't think you're going to get many takers. Andre Vater, the Vater was doing a fantastic job. He was cleaning up the administration. He's a highly effective and capable manager, starting to begin to the, the wheels. I mean, ESCOM is in serious trouble. And there's no solution in the next two to three or four years. He was beginning to start engineer, re-engineering the organization. Um, he had to take very, very difficult decisions. I can tell you, you can put anybody there, a black person or a white person, it's not going to take away the systemic problems in ESCOM. The problems are of corruption, sabotage, decaying at infrastructure, finding the financial resources to rebuild the infrastructure, getting skilled people to run the systems top to bottom, the operations of the entire ESCOM network, you need to bring in those skills. The corruption hasn't ended in the various regional offices. Uh, the corruption hasn't you know, uh, been fully tackled in terms of the supply of coal and, and how people are manipulating those processes. There was a man who brought in his skills and his talents to help rebuild and we are allowing it to go. So I'm not very optimistic at all about ESCOM in the next, you know, uh, three years. 
You mentioned the 2024 elections, which uh, again peaks over the horizon. Uh, the, the prospects for the ANC is one aspect that you mentioned, but uh, you turn the focus as well on the opposition parties and you speak about no new policy statements to date by opposition parties, not clear if they can const uh, constitute an effective coalition to govern uh, post 2024 with uh, such a mess uh, as you've described and so many people attest to uh, in service delivery around the country this should have uh, provided the most fertile uh, environment for other political parties to thrive and to be able to develop uh, alternative platforms why is it that you say they haven't uh, how, wh wh what makes you reach the decision uh, or the conclusion that they've uh, not uh, fulfilled uh, their mandates properly and are not likely to do so even going forward Brian, one of the biggest threats to our democracy is the is the fragmentation the incoherence and the incapability of, of any opposition party in this country in in more established democracies, if a government performs badly, it is removed from power in four years or five years, depending on, on their constitutional arrangements. At most, the, the party will be removed within eight years or ten years. Now, we have a situation here where we, have, we had a very strong and dynamic ruling party. Its electoral fortunes are starting to, to decline. It no longer controls many of the metropolitan municipalities in the country. That's highly you know, important for from an overall government planning and an economic development perspective, etc. But there is no single party that can realistically come to power in this country other than the DA in the Western Cape. Now, instead of the opposition forces cohering, uniting so that they can become a dominant opposition party and actually you know, be in a position that it can realistically take over a government in the short term. What we are seeing is the further fragmentation of opposition parties in this country. So now we've got the Rise Movement, we've got Boza um, by Musi Maimane, We've got, uh, under, possibly under former Chief Justice Mokweng Mokweng, the All-African Alliance. Uh, and we've got probably currently 13 political parties in Parliament in opposition to the ANC. Do we need another political party? What, we, what the country needs is an opposition party that has got the possibility of taking power and ruling the country for the next five years come 2024. What we're seeing is the further and further fragmentation and breaking up and formation of newer, new and more new organizations supposedly to rescue this country. Now, what purpose will it serve? So a new party is formed, it might get 3% of the vote. What will change? Another party is formed, it might get 5% of the, of the vote. What will change? Nothing. We need a party that can get 51% of the vote and become an alternative to the ANC. That's in the interest of democracy in this country. But opposition parties are more personality-based parties. And instead of striking 
a powerful coalition based on clear-cut political principles, they are horse-trading portfolios. Who will get which position? If I come into alliance with you, will I get the MMC for transport? Or will I get the variable position? They're driven by personal and, 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 uh, and short-term interest. Where's the public in all of this? Where's service delivery? Where's the public good in all of this? So everywhere where we've got coalitions, whether it is city of Johannesburg, or Tswane, or Ikovileni, it I mean, we've already seen in some of these municipalities, within 14 months, they are, they are on the verge of collapse. Where's the city, the ordinary citizen in Johannesburg, we live in Johannesburg, there was an attempt to remove the mayor, the DA mayor. The ANC did it for two weeks. Matter went to court. The ANC mayor was removed again. Now we've got the DA mayor back in power in, in Johannesburg. I don't care what happens to, to, to the positions there. I want to know who's going to fix up the five potholes that I got on Mahanadi Street in extension 11A, uh, 11B, where I stay. And in the past six months, nobody has come to fix up the potholes. That's my concern. I don't care who's the mayor or who's not the mayor. Indeed, and I want to uh, end up then with uh, just two two questions. Uh, the, the the first being uh, the issue of uh, you you do not uh, mention it directly, but obviously it's it's uh, implicit in a lot of the other challenges that you've spoken about. Uh, this looms very large. Besides electricity, uh, water seems to be one of the big crises. Uh, whether it's uh, sewage in Durban, the quality of water, the lack of water zero in other other provinces uh, it, it's a, a crisis that is happening and if it boils over will be much bigger than the electricity crisis how do ordinary uh, South Africans community structures uh, respond to this number one and number two finally uh, your, your point number 14 speaks to social movements need to agree on a clear strategy for combined action on defined programs. Uh, now, obviously, putting the ball back to the community and people who are doing work in the space, uh, what, what's your advice, guidelines, in that regard? The water crisis is a growing crisis in this country. Uh, I've just come back from you know, visits to Toriando, Sanin, Makupani, the old Porkitis, the whole, in other words, the northern parts of Limpopo. Almost daily, they have water cuts. Forget about electricity. And when the water does come on, then we have load shedding and the reservoir pumps are not working. So it's quite, you know, what happens is that people have sometimes for three, four, five days, no water. There are villages that have not received water at all. They depend on Jojo tanks uh, and people getting trucks coming and filling water in Jojo tanks. Yet, the, 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 the old infrastructure is there. It just hasn't been maintained. There are no skills to run those systems anymore. We haven't upgraded them. Those municipalities haven't invested in upgrading the infrastructure. So it is dysfunctional. We are talking about millions of people at the moment who don't have water in this country. I've just come back from Fantastop. When there's load shedding, the, the pumps don't work, the water pumps don't work. It can't pump water 
from the high area coming down into the Laka Valley, it can't pump water up because there's no electricity. So therefore, there's no water. Now, I mean, these were functioning systems. What, what has gone wrong? So I'm just giving you three or four practical examples that I've witnessed in the last four or five weeks. There's a massive water crisis. PE, we've seen, I mean, for some time, no water. So if electricity is gone and there's no water supply in this country, that's why I say people are not interested in the internal battles of the ANC, the factional strife in the ANC. People are witnessing in their day-to-day experiences that things are becoming dysfunctional. And that is what they're concerned. So that's the point around, uh, you know, and I don't think in the urban centers, in urban areas or urban municipalities, we fully appreciate the extent and the depth of the water crisis in this country. Add to that climate change. So if you look at KwaZulu-Natal with the massive floods that took place, twice in the in the course of last year. Huge damage to infrastructure. It's months later and they haven't been able to repair those infrastructure and they upgrade the infrastructure. So in areas like Tongard, for example, I mean, a few months ago, we've had community in, in protest saying, but look, man, hey, we need water. We can't live without water for 60 days, 90 days. Sure, there was a flood, there was damage to infrastructure, but somebody has to put some urgency to fix up these things. We can't wait indefinitely. And we have to now secure water through private means, bottled water, this and another, which in itself is expensive. So I'm belaboring the point, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that water is such a vital commodity for us, and we're not appreciating, we're not conserving, we're not... We're not even harvesting good rainwater. We've had such great rains in the last few months here in our country. We don't harvest rainwater as communities, as, as, as individual households. We don't harvest that water and use it for gardening or for, for normal things that we can use water that is directly from, from our gutters, for example. We're not conscious of these things. And it, it behoves us as, as Muslims to really become alert to these things, to look at alternatives and to make shukr to Allah for the resources that we have and to start conserving and preserving those resources and using them more efficiently without wasting. And what we can get from natural resources like rainfall, etc., we need to harvest that water and use it in our daily day, day-to-day in our lives. Then you raise a separate point, which is on the issue of civil society. I think there's a growing sense within civil society organizations that the state is in trouble. Service delivery in many respects at local level is starting to collapse. And uh, they are, uh, are coming to the realization that if when political parties fail or when councillors fail, then, then the last line of defense for a community is civil society organizations. So many of our Muslim organizations are doing sterling work in, in supporting communities, whether it is charity, humanitarian, relief aid. Uh, I mean, the, the, the work that people, our, our community people are doing is, we, we need to be proud of it, but it's not enough and they can't solve the problems. So civil society organizations have to start uniting. They need to start collaborating. 
uh, particularly the many of the Muslim organizations, they're doing fantastic work, as I said. But we need to start collaborating. We need to work hand in hand. You can't have a situation where if there's a water crisis in one town, then 10 different Muslim organizations rushing there with tankers, with bottled water, everyone trying to give. But there's no coordination within, within, our, within our own camp, in a sense. Uh, we need to we need to be we need to be we need to be have, we, we need to be confident that we can work with other organisations, whether it is Muslim organisations or, or other organisations in society. Let's forge partnerships. Let's work in a collaborative way so that we can have maximum impact in a local context and we can spread the resources more widely rather than duplicating the limited resources that that business people, etc., are putting forward for relief work and for humanitarian aid and charity work, etc. Well, Ismail Vali, I thank you so much for uh, the detailed pointers, political pointers, uh, community pointers, activist pointers for the year 2023, uh, diagnosis of what is happening, uh, surveying the political climate as well as looking at the work that needs to be done and how, uh, besides the political players, uh, ordinary com community members can pitch in and also try and make their interventions effective. I thank you so much for your time, Shukran, and Barakallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.